Father God, we just want to say thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and the blood that he shed on the cross for our sins. And God, as we sang the song a while ago about being broken vessels, it is a humble reminder of the Lord that none of us are worthy to be here. None of us are worthy to sing the songs, to pray, to even consider ourselves a child of God in any way. But Lord, we just want to say thank you for sending your one and only Son to make it possible for us to do all that we're doing this morning and not do it in vain. And sometimes the enemy would like us to think that these times are meaningless or nothing has happened or nothing has changed. But God, we are coming to you in faith this morning to know that even if we cannot feel it in the moment or we may not see it right now, that there is a work being done in the spiritual realms that we cannot see. Lord, we cry out in faith to know that you are a God who can accomplish more than we could ever think or imagine and the work that you may be doing in our hearts and in our lives may be above and beyond what we're expecting or desiring right now. So Jesus, we pray that you would be among us this morning. We pray that your Holy Spirit would be in this place and that it would work and move and God, that you would call us. Lord, that it would not only give us this this great feeling of hope or confidence, but Lord, that you would you would call us by name to be servants, to be witnesses and ministers, Lord, not to just walk around saying that we are believers. but that you would give us a passion and a purpose that supersedes anything we could ever lay our hearts or eyes on in this world. To truly realize what it means to have a God who stepped out of heaven and suffered and bled and died for us when we did not deserve it and even though we still don't deserve it. To pay that price that we could not pay. We are so thankful for that this morning. And God, as we continue to move on in your word, I pray that you would speak into our hearts today. That you would draw us near. That you would convict us in areas that we need to be convicted in. That you would help us to surrender in areas that we need to surrender in. Give us the courage to just step out on faith and and to know that we're not going to understand everything. We're not going to see everything clearly. But that we're going to trust you. We're going to be men and women who live by faith. And we're going to trust you to lead us where you want us to go. Even though it may not sound pleasant or fun or entertaining. We will let you lead us because we know that you give us so much more than anything else in existence can. You make us eternal. 
You cleanse us. You save us. You give us eternal life. And everything else in this world fades away. And everything else in this world pulls and tugs at us to yank us away from you and your love. So, Lord, we give ourselves to you this morning. Father, we pray for Miss Helen and her family today. God, I pray that you would touch them. Lord, that you would move and work in their lives. Pray for Miss Margie and her procedure she had done this past week, that you would touch her body. And Lord, for the countless others who are struggling and hurting this morning, Lord, we lift them up to you. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would be with them just as we ask that you would be with us in these moments. We love you, we thank you, and we ask all this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Well, it is good to see you today. And we are currently in our eighth week, and our series is winding down. Um, Summer goes by fast, doesn't it? All the kids are like, "Mm." all the parents are like, Ready to send them back to school? So we've been talking about questions that Jesus asked. And I don't know how well you guys pay attention or how many notes you take. I'm a note taker. Um, I generally try to write down as much stuff as possible. It helps me remember because I'm a little scattered brain, so it helps me follow and pay attention. So I like to take notes. But we've been in, basically been in the book of Matthew the whole time. And if you remember our first several weeks, we were... In the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus was doing a lot of teaching, a lot of communicating about God's law and what God desires from people. And, and, you know, we've said the whole time, a question opens up the mind, but a statement closes it. And there's a really significant reason that we need to understand why Jesus is doing a lot of teaching. So he's saying a lot of things. He's making a lot of statements, but he's also asking a lot of questions. And early on, especially in the Sermon on the Mount, he's asking things that are super important. Like you you need to realize how important those questions are. And at the same time, I I think you'll understand that as we've moved on and as Jesus' ministry has progressed, the questions become a lot more intimate, a lot more serious, a lot more deep. And so the consideration of the questions are not just a matter of, oh, let's let's get our let's get our hearts stirring, let's get our minds stirring, let's think about things and, and let's talk about this as good conversation generator and things like that. But no, like the questions that Jesus began to ask his followers towards the end of his ministry really began to shape and mold and define the expectations that he has for you and I as his followers. And so today's question is, anything worth more than your soul? And we could sit here today, and none of you are buffoons. You know, like if I got you up here individually, I said, all right, now I just called one of you up here to come stand at the front of the church, and I could think of a couple of you who would be like, mortified if I did that. But any of you that I called up here, even the kid, I could get them up here and I could say, hey, is anything worth more than your soul? And you would pretty much know that, like, you would know what to say in front of the church. You with me? It's like, well, no, duh, we know that. 
But there's a reason why Jesus asked the question. Because as people, we're not always 100% honest with ourselves like we think we are. We, we like to think that we're honest and we like to think that we're fair and we like to think that we're transparent. And at the same time, Every one of us would get up here in front of the entire church and we would say, no, nothing is worth more than my eternal soul. And at the same time, we we leave here every week and we go out and we make decisions and we live life and we do things. And so much of our life reflects a totally different answer. And sometimes we don't even contemplate that. So, so as we're talking about this this morning, I want to I warn you, we're reading a lot of familiar passages of Scripture. I always say this because it's really easy when you read familiar passages of Scripture for people to just check out. Say, I've heard a thousand sermons on this. This is boring. I've heard this a million times. I don't really need to hear this again. Don't check out. Because this morning's sermon is really to remind us of the importance of every day that we wake up And we begin to start our day and we seek the Lord in this. Because if you're a true follower of Christ, if you're a true child of God, the the number one desire in your heart should be to seek God and do what he wants you to do. Like that should be it, but we don't always live like that, do we? Because we wake up in the morning and some of the first things we say is, oh shoot, I'm late. And then from then on, it's like God gets put on the back burner and we're trying to get everything else done. Or you got all kinds of other stuff to do. Or you got a job. Or you got all this stuff to do. And so if we're not careful as people, what happens is, is we give God all the lip service in the world of, oh no, nothing's more important than my soul, but in every decision I make and everything I do in my life and everything else, it all comes first. And when there's time left over, if I feel like reading, if I feel like praying, if I feel like going to church on that day, then I'll do that and God gets second helpings of everything in the leftovers. And dude, let's just be honest this morning. That's not what Christ has called us to. So let's start. Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 27. We're not going to read the whole passage, just a few verses to kind of like get you the meat of it and understand what's going on. But what's happening is, is Jesus is beginning to tell the disciples that he is going to die. And so as you can imagine, now I don't know if any of you have ever been through this with family members, if you ever had news like, you get a terminal illness and you start having to make those decisions and you having those talks. But Jesus understands that his time has come to an end. He's no longer going to be with them. So the conversation that he's having with his disciples is, this is what is expected of you after I'm gone. This is what I want from you. This is how you should live. This is what you need to do and how you should live. These are the things you should live by. And understand this, that as Jesus is communicating this, the disciples never get it. Like the disciples never understand the whole time Jesus is predicting his death and, and he's saying all these things. They never really understand everything Jesus is saying. They don't know that he's actually going to die. They, they can't grasp it. They're just like, surely not. You know, then Jesus calls Peter Satan for saying, surely these things won't happen to you. And, you, you know, there's all this stuff where the disciples just don't get it. And so this morning, don't be so prideful that you sit here in these seats and you come to church and you say, okay, I come to church today. I hope you came to church today because, you know, there's something in you that says, I I need God. Some of you might be really hungry for God. Some of you might just be like, my mom drug me out of bed this morning. I do not want to be here. 
for whatever reason you are here, I, I really hope and pray that you are honest enough with yourself and say, okay, if the disciples were bought into Jesus, if they were following him, if they left everything to follow him, and they were bought into him, and they saw all the miracles and saw all the things, and yet Jesus is saying, I'm going to die, this is what's expected of you, and they still didn't get it. Don't think for one second this morning that we have got everything Jesus wants us to get. We can't be prideful enough to assume that. Our hearts should be humble enough to, to walk in these doors this morning and say, Jesus, I don't know what I need. I like to think, we like to think that we know because some of you have some like desires and hurts and pains and things that you would like to see Jesus do in your lives today. So there might be some specific things you got on your mind. But if we can humble ourselves and say, Jesus, I don't really necessarily know what it is that I need, but I believe that you do and I'm here to get what you want me to have. And if we can have that attitude, we'll do pretty good today. All right? So in chapter 16 of Matthew, verses 24 through 27, Jesus said to his disciples, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Very familiar passage of Scripture. All right? Verse 26. And what do you benefit... If you gain the whole world, but lose your own soul, is anything worth more than your soul? For the Son of Man will come with his angels in the glory of his Father and will judge all people according to their deeds. Now understand this. Jesus, we were looking at men who had already followed him. They were already serving with him. They had already bought into it. And they believed that he was the Messiah, but they, were still, they, they still didn't get everything, but they were bought into it. I mean, they left everything to follow Jesus, so we're going to give them the credit they deserve. And Jesus is looking at them and saying, he's like, for you who have already chosen to follow me, if you want to be my follower, he's saying to people who are already following him, if you want to be my follower, you must give up your way or your life, according to whatever translation you're reading. Take up your cross, basically put yourself to death and come to follow me. And what do you profit if you gain the whole world? Because the idea that the disciples had of what it meant to follow Christ was very different from what Jesus was trying to communicate to them. They had bigger things on their minds that they were seeking, which some of us may be guilty of. Like you might be here this morning, you might be trying to follow Christ to get something else. Like maybe you want to be blessed, maybe you want something else from Christ Today, and you're just like, well, I'm going to go to church. I'm going to try to be good. Maybe he'll bless me. It's like, no, no, no. Jesus is trying to like totally redirect them in what they're doing. Well, what do you profit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? And we know the answer. The answer is nothing. What do you profit? Nothing. Is anything worth more than your soul? No, nothing's worth more than my soul. So point number one, all my points this morning are questions. Point number one, what do you want? If you never sit down and just made a list of like the things that you want in your life, I encourage you to do that. Like This is your homework for today. Go home this afternoon, when after you ate and you filled your belly and you feel like sleeping, you take a little nap or whatever and you wake up, get you a piece of paper and a pencil out. Go old school. Don't do it on your phone because you get distracted and you got too many opportunities. Just get a piece of paper and a pencil out and you make a list of what it is that you want in your life. And what people say they want in life is super interesting because right now I'm kind of having this conversation with someone who doesn't have much time left in their life. And so we're having to talk about some different things and 
try to start planning the funerals and stuff like that. And, and what they want is very different than what some of you would want because their time's running out. Does that make sense? Like they got something totally different in mind. And some of you in here who might be like in your 90s might be thinking about something different than someone young. So like for someone who's older, you might be like, well, I just like to make it to lunchtime before my sugar drops and I feel like garbage. And then others of you are like, well, I want to be a millionaire. I want to be an influencer or whatever. So I Googled some of the things that people talked about that they want. Like what do people want in life? These were some of the top answers. Marriage, children, people want to be a good parent. We want to have a great job. People want to be millionaires. People want to be famous. They want to, a lot of people want to be world changers. How crazy is that? Like, I want to change the world, all right? Happiness. You'd be amazed at how many people say they just want to be happy. Health is a big one. Like, especially as we begin to age and we, like, reflect back on what our bodies used to could do. Like, health is always huge. Peace. Joy. Fulfillment. Like just the idea of being fulfilled in your life was like one of the greatest desires that people had. Confidence. A lot of people just wish they had more confidence. Stability. Passion. Like this whole idea that life means something, that you have something you're working toward, that, that you're willing to work towards and suffer for. A lot of people don't have that and they wish they had it. Meaning, just for your life to have meaning. And hope. And when you look at the list, like those were the top things that people said that they wanted out of life. What's funny is, is that as Christians, like when we start looking at this, it's like most of those things are things that we feel like God can provide and wants for us. And it's amazing how many of those things are actually fruits of the Spirit that people want. Like you start reading in Scripture and you're talking about the Holy Spirit filling you and giving you these things and love, joy, peace, fruits of the Spirit. It's funny how people want that, but they don't want God and the one who can really give it to them. So I challenge you today to make your list of things that you want in life because according to how old you are and what state of life you're in and how your health is and different things, you know, stuff starts being pushed to the wayside whenever situations and circumstances begin to change. You start wanting different things. But be honest. Be honest. Because you're going to make that list. And as a believer, if you claim to be a believer in Jesus Christ, you need to understand God needs to be on that list of things that you want. But you be honest and you put God in the proper place of where you're wanting him right now. Don't put him at the top because you know it's the right answer. You put God in the proper place of what it is that you're investing your time, your money, your effort, your thoughts Everything that you are, everything that you do, you put God in the proper place. And that will reveal a lot to you. And I'm challenging you to do that this morning because we need to understand as a people, and as we, as we claim to be believers in Christ and followers of Christ, that, that God demands something very high of us. And it's really sad because I feel like, especially in, in the Christian realm, in America, in the South, we've been lied to a lot. To be told that this whole aspect of salvation, it's this, this free gift, okay? And it's a half-truth at best. 
Uh, oh, salvation's a free gift. You, you just pray. You pray this prayer. You ask Jesus in your heart, and you get saved, and, and that's it. And that's, that's how you get saved. It's like you go down the altar, you pray a prayer, or you get with someone, you pray a prayer, and that's it. And that is not true. And, and, and like that stinks because it would be great if it was just that simple and that easy, but it's not. Because when you begin to look at Scripture and you look at what Jesus was calling people to, Jesus actually turned more people away because of the things that he said, if you want to follow me, these are the things that you have to do. And a lot of you say, oh, you got to be careful, James, because you're kind of tiptoeing on heresy like a little bit. Like you're, you're taking what people have said, like this is how you get saved. This is how you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And you're saying that's not true. And I want to tell you this morning, like I said, it's a half truth. Because think about this. Your salvation wasn't free. Jesus Christ paid for it. You with me? So it wasn't free. He paid for it. He bought it with his body, his blood, his brokenness, his suffering. He paid for you to have it. It's kind of like you getting a gift from your parents and saying, oh, I got this for free. It's like, no, you didn't. Mom and daddy worked to give you that to make sure that you got it, and you're not giving them credit for it. Salvation is not free. It costs something. It costs Jesus everything. You with me? All right, so it's, not necess- it's free for you, but it's not free for him. And at the same time, when you call on the name of Jesus, you look through Scripture and you read your Bible, and I want to remind every one of you this morning that I'm not trying to undo anything that's been done in your heart and life. So if you sit here this morning, if you went down to an altar one time and you prayed with someone and you asked Jesus in your heart, and you prayed that prayer with a pastor, and you felt God come into your life and God saved you, I affirm, I believe that God has saved people through that process. I 100% believe that God has saved people through that process. And at the same time, I want to tell you this morning that that is not just it. And when you look at Scripture and you look at what Jesus called his disciples and every, all the large crowds that were following him, never once did he ever invite someone down to an altar. Never once did he say, pray this prayer after me. Never once did he say, do it, it's done. I'll never see you again. I'll see you in heaven when you get there. Jesus never said that to anyone who ever said, I want to follow you. He told people, you got to be reborn. He told Nicodemus, you got to be reborn. Nick blew Nicodemus' mind. He had no idea how to do that. It just didn't even register how he could be reborn. In Luke 14, verses 28 through 29, people were following him, and he looked at the people who were following him. He said, don't begin until you count the cost. What? I thought salvation was free. I thought having a relationship with Jesus Christ was free. But yet Jesus looked at the people who wanted to follow him and said, don't begin until you count the cost. And so, yes, you need to understand this morning that Jesus Christ bled and died for your sins. The gift of salvation is free. He paid for what you could not afford. He made it possible for you to have a relationship with him that you could not afford to have without him. He made it possible. But when you choose to follow after Jesus Christ, it still costs you something. And if you thought that it didn't cost you anything, you've been lied to or you've been fooled. And I want to tell you, it's, it's, I'm not saying that to, to shame any of us this morning. But really, I'm trying to say this because I want us to understand what God really wants from his people. 
what I believe that God truly wants from his people. Go back to the focus passage. Jesus said, I'm coming with my angels on judgment day, and we will judge everyone according to their deeds. And Jesus looked at his followers and said, if you want to follow me, you need to count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Understand today that following Jesus Christ does come with a price. There's an expectation that when you enter into that relationship with him, he expects something from you. You couldn't get your salvation for free, but now that he's given you your salvation, he expects an exchange in return from you of what you can give. Does that make sense? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money, and then everyone would laugh at you. How many of you know people who's been down to the altar, prayed the prayer, asked Jesus in their heart, asked for forgiveness of sins, turn around, go back out the door, and live in the same exact life they live before they came down here? I cannot count on my fingers and toes how many people we've had just come through Graham over the past years, even since I've been here, even in my own ministry, where they said they've accepted Christ in their heart and they've prayed this prayer and they've done all this stuff, and then they go out and they continue to live the same exact way. Luke 14, verses 26 through 27. Jesus said, If you want to be my disciple, you must by comparison hate everyone else. It's like, what? If you want to be my disciple, you must by comparison hate it. He didn't say hate everyone else by comparison. Hate everyone else. Your father and mother, your wife and children, your brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. And many of you know this and you've heard it, but for just some of you who may not have heard this, like when he talks about taking up your own cross and following him, he's basically saying, putting yourself to death. <clears throat> the whole process of putting yourself to death in order to be reborn, to be made a new creation, there should be a change. There should be a difference. Is the evidence. And we're sitting here this morning, and I want you to understand that as we are followers of Christ, and it doesn't matter whether you're 90 years old or you're 10 years old, and it doesn't matter how close you are to Christ or how far away you are from Christ, we really need to understand this morning, there's not a single person in this room that God does not want more of what you've already given him. God wants more from you. And you could be sitting here today, it's like, James, I've, I've, I've given up everything at this moment right now. I've given up everything that I can possibly think of to God or to Christ. I don't know what else to give. And that may be true, but I want to let you know there's a new day coming tomorrow. And there's new decisions tomorrow, and there's new circumstances, and there's new relationships. And I want to let you know there's not a single person in this room that God does not want more of you and from you in some way. And that's scary, right? Like that's intimidating because we would like to think that we could just like do this thing and like get it done and we feel good about it. But to understand this morning that God wants more from you, you look at Abraham and you look at the man upon which his faith in God paved the way for Jesus to come to bring salvation to the entire world. Like That's how important his faith was. He left his home. He left everything he had. He went exactly what God told him to do. He did everything that God told him to do, and yet it wasn't enough. God still wanted more, and he said, Abraham, I want you to go on the mountain and sacrifice your one and only son and give him to me. 
And Abraham was willing to do it, which is like one of the craziest things. Like, it's one that that whole passage is one of the craziest, like hardest passages to understand of like why God just needed to know if Abraham was going to be willing to do it or not. Because if you read the story, Abraham doesn't because God spares him from having to do that. But God just wanted to know if he would be willing. And that's why I'm telling you, you could be here this morning. You could have given everything already. And I want you to know tomorrow, God may ask something else from you. And as believers in Christ, we need to be okay with that. Because if we believe what we say we believe, and we talk about salvation and how amazing of a gift that is, and how we couldn't afford it, and we're going to have eternal life, then we understand how much anything that we could give up for Christ is worth it. But you look at the way we live as people, we don't live like that. We give God all the lip service in the world. We say we're His. We say we belong to Him. He's number one. Nothing's more important than our soul. But so many times in our lives, we don't live like that. And then you read passages like Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23, when Jesus is talking about true disciples and true followers. And he says, Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and perform many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. And you think about this morning, it's like, well, I, I'm not running around healing people, and I wouldn't consider myself a prophet like Old Testament-style prophecy or anything like that. And I'm not casting out demons, performing miracles. And, and, and Jesus is looking at his disciples, men and women who are already bought into them, and he's saying, not everyone who calls me Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven. And then he keeps referencing this whole thing about judgment day. For this understanding of, hey, if you want to be mine, if you want to be a child of God, if you want to be adopted into God's family, if you want to be saved and have eternal life, there's some expectation that goes along with that. And for you to not think that God doesn't require much of you after he's paid so high a price for you, that he doesn't require much from you, we're fooling ourselves. And this is intimidating because we don't like to think about stuff like this. And as I was sitting here writing this passage this week, I'm like, I'm convicted myself. It's like I'm sitting here and I'm, I'm writing this stuff down. I'm talking about, I'm reading all these passages of scripture. I'm like, dude, am, am I... Do how am I doing with this? And it's terrifying to think about. But we got to be honest with what was about what we want. You know, it's like it's really important for us to sit down and, and really understand <clears throat> and say, okay, God, like realistically, without lying, without fluffing things up or trying to make ourselves feel good, where are you on my list of wants? And put him where he is. And then begin to seek him about how to get him where he needs to be, which is number one. Point number two, what do you benefit? What do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? 
And this is a super short point because there's not a whole lot to add to it. But you gain absolutely nothing. You know, everything in this world that you have is, is so temporary. We say it all the time, but do we really understand that? You think about how much time, how much effort, how much money we spend to get things in this world to accomplish things. It's like everything is temporary. Don't check out. Don't, don't, don't check out on it. Like, like think about it. Like, I, I know it's painful. But everything's temporary. Like, there's nothing in this world that you get to take with you. Everything that you have will be given to someone else. Someone else will own it. Someone else will possess it. Or it will be buried at the bottom of a landfill one day. One of my parenting tactics with our kids right now is I'm trying to not get them to not destroy our house. They're four and two, and they run around, and they run cars along the walls. Because for whatever reason, cars all of a sudden defy gravity. Like They don't go on the ground. They, they go on the walls. They run around with wiffle ball bats and all kinds of stuff. And you know, they don't hit balls with them. They hit cabinets and doors and everything else. But I keep telling them, I'm like, stop tearing the house up. I'm like, this is yours. And I keep trying to tell them, everything that you tear up that we have to spend money on is less money you get when we die. And like, that sounds crazy, and like, you laugh at it, but it's serious. Like, and it's a weird conversation, but it's really important for them to understand that it's, it's really kind of their investment too. Like, whatever they do to destroy this, we have to pay for it. It's less that they get in the long run. If they take care of it, they have ownership in it, one day, hopefully, they'll benefit from it. It's not our house. We, we just have it for a time, a short season. And, and if you don't believe me, you can go back and look at the tax records of who it belonged to before we bought it. And they owned it just a couple of years. And it went into foreclosure. And then the people who owned it before that, and the people who owned it before that. It's like everything that you have is temporary. And you can look, it doesn't matter how old your house is or how new it is. Everything that you have is going to be gone. Someone else will own it one day, whether it's your kids or someone else in the world. Everything you possess will be passed down, sold, or end up in a landfill buried somewhere. Things that you think are so important, your kids will probably look at one day like, that's garbage, throw that thing away. Because we've done that with our grandparents. It happens. What do you benefit if you gain it all and you lose your soul? And Jesus is saying, look, get your priorities straight. Stop focusing so much on the world. Everything about our life, I mean, this is what we're talking about. How much do you want God? But then at the same time, <clears throat> all the decisions that we make reflect a totally different answer. But what do you gain? What do you gain if you, you spend all your time and money and you get to be a, this famous athlete or whatever, your child grows up to be an athlete, or your child grows up to be the valid Victorian or become a doctor? What do you gain for all that stuff if you lose your soul? And the answer is absolutely nothing. It's all temporary. But you know what's naughty temporary? The spiritual. The spiritual, which we so often put on the back burner to focus on worldly things. And we say we're believers in Christ. We say we trust in God and we have faith in Him. We believe in eternal life. But so many times our decisions put the spiritual on the back burner so the things of the world can come first. And you'll say, well, you got to work, man. You got to do this. You got to start. And it's like, I know all that stuff. Don't try to like 
check out on the spiritual just because you got to work a job. I believe in my heart, every one of you here at the job that you work, whether you put in 40 hours a week or 80 hours a week, you can be a witness and a minister on that job. You can use that job to serve God. And you can reach more people than I'll ever have the opportunity to reach because as a pastor, when I do what I'm doing right now, I can only reach the people who choose to come here. You can be a witness and minister to people you're around every single day for however many hours you're at work. And it's not a matter of putting your job above something else or your family above something else because we would never say these things are more important, but you have to be honest in the decisions you're making and what your decisions are reflecting according to what's more important in your life. So point number three, question number three, what's worth more than your soul? And the obvious answer is nothing. But you need to understand there's a reason why Jesus asked the question. There's a reason why he looked at his disciples, men who were already following him, who were already bought in, and he looked at them and he was saying, what's worth more than your soul? Because they were sitting back and they were arguing and bickering over who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, who was going to sit at Jesus' right hand, and who was going to get to be in charge, and who was going to do this, because they were focused on worldly things too, instead of focused on eternal spiritual things. So this morning, don't, t- don't be so hard on yourself if you feel like, okay, I know God's not number one on my list. Thanks for beating the mess out of me this morning, James. Don't be so hard on yourself. Even the disciples were in the same boat. But just be honest. And let's not be satisfied. Let's do something about it. And we would never say like our spouse is more important or our child is more important than God. We would never say that. But I, I hear so many people talk about, well, man, I, you know, I was going to do this, but you know, the kids got games, and my, my spouse just didn't want to come this morning, and so I didn't come. And there's there, there's so many decisions, and that's why I'm saying in your own personal life, only you can look and reflect, and really see where your decisions are putting the value that you place in your heavenly Father compared to the things of the world. You know, when you think about, Jesus talks about in comparison, it should look like you hate everything else. In comparison. And if like you have to create animosity between your spouse in order for you to follow God or do things for God, then that's what you should do. You should choose God. And I believe wholeheartedly that if you follow God and you serve Him, it will, He will give you the ability and the strength to love your spouse better than you were before anyway, whether they see it or understand it. And the people of the world may not understand it, like the, the friends and the co-workers and stuff, they may not see it and understand it. They may not get it. Your children may get mad at you. They may fuss at you because church is so boring. I hate going. I remember that. Try being a pastor and going to church after I've been to as many services as I've been to. I would like to say, man, I just love going to church services. It's like... 
it's really hard. I'm sure Pastor Edmonds understands. After you've been to so many and you've heard all these great and amazing speakers and you've heard great and amazing music, you know, it's really hard to go in and not critique everything. Imagine going to your job and just watching someone else do your job for an hour and a half and how difficult that would be. It doesn't matter the arguing or division or things like that. Don't be belligerent. You know, don't be jerks about it. But if you can choose Christ, if you can lovingly choose Christ and choose your Heavenly Father, whether it's reading of Scripture or prayer or, or church, fellowshipping, whatever it may be, man, like we really got to get back to the point in our lives where we say, you know, like there's a reason why God calls us to follow him and to fellowship with other believers. And there's a reason why Jesus Christ established the church. If we really believe in God, then we really understand and, and believe the benefit of those things. Even though we may not understand it in the beginning, I promise you, if you, you buy into it, you go out on faith and you trust into it, you will see it. It will be revealed to you in due time. I know this is not one of those sermons that makes you feel good. And it doesn't make you excited. But I do feel like there are times in our church and in our spiritual lives where we really need to reevaluate where we are, where we stand with the Lord, and be honest about that. And so this morning, I'm going to open up the altar. And I just want to give you guys a chance to just, if you feel led, if you feel like God wants to do something in your life, if you know, like, okay, God, I know you're not number one. I've really been messing it up lately. But God, I want you to be number one. And maybe you're sitting here and you're just like, I don't know how to make you number one. To cry out to God and say, God, help me to make you number one. Because the truth is, we don't understand him. We don't get it. He's way bigger than we are. And we need help through him, the power of the Holy Spirit, to really put him where he needs to be to make those decisions every day. To show that we truly belong to him. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1-2 through two says, As God's partners, we beg you not to accept this marvelous gift of God's kindness and then ignore it. For God says, At just the right time I heard you on the day of salvation, I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. You know, you think about following God and putting your trust and faith in Him. Every single day is the day for you to tell God how much you love him according to where you put him in the process of things. So this morning we're going to open up the altar for prayer. If you feel led to come, come and pray. We'll give you guys a few moments and then we'll close out.
God, as we come to you. Lord, we just lift these people up in prayer and ask that you would touch their hearts should work and move in the ways that they ask and need. Jesus, for anyone in this congregation who are sitting here and maybe they just didn't come down because they were afraid to get up in front of everyone, Lord, I pray that you would help them to understand that you can work and move in a chair just as easily as you can at an altar. So, Lord, if they're crying out to you right now where they are, I pray that you would touch them as well. And for the people who are watching at home, God, I pray that you would be with them as well. Lord, none of us would dare claim to be perfect. None of us would dare claim to know it all. So, Lord, we humbly submit ourselves to you and your will. And Lord, I pray that there would be a begging of your Holy Spirit to come and to fill us. Jesus, we need you so much in our lives. Making the decisions every day, putting you first every day is so hard. That's why you told us to count the cost because it's hard and it's a long journey. And it constantly costs us things. And while that's so intimidating, Lord, as we read in your Bible study this past week, chapter 6 of 2 Corinthians, Lord, it is so worth it. It's so intimidating to think about, but God, you are worth it. It's a marvelous gift. And I pray that you would help us not to waste it or to think of it lightly. Give us the strength and the wisdom and understanding to put you first in all things. To be your servants. To put ourselves to death. And to hate the world in comparison. So that we can show the world how much we truly love you. We love you and we ask all this in Jesus' name.